I'm thinking about starting a new restaurant. Our specialty is going to be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I love peanut butter and jelly. I grew up on that. Doesn't everybody love that? In fact, I think our whole menu is going to revolve around peanut butter. Peanut butter is so good. And so in this restaurant that I'm planning to start, because I love, the way, the way I look at it, what more could you need besides peanut butter? And I'm thinking that this restaurant will be successful with a peanut butter-based menu. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, your reaction to that would most likely be, are you kidding me? Are you serious about that? Uh, you think that everybody will like peanut butter just because you like peanut butter? And that, that people will come to your restaurant? You know, maybe people might come once just out of curiosity. How could anybody be so crazy to have a whole restaurant built around peanut butter? Do you think they'll come back? you think you could build a successful business based upon a peanut butter menu? Now, think about that. I like peanut butter. Surely everybody looks at it like I look at it, right? And since I like it, everybody else will like it. And therefore, surely people will come to my restaurant if I start my peanut butter-based menu restaurant, right? Well, that's, that's a terribly flawed business model, wouldn't you agree? Don't you think that that is a business destined for failure? In fact, statistically, I understand the businesses that start that are most likely to fail are restaurants anyway. It's a tough business to be in. And then... To start one on such shaky principles as, I like it, therefore everybody will like it, you're just not going to make it, right? You're not going to make it. That's, that's a bad plan. To assume in business, be it a restaurant or any other business, to assume that the buying public thinks just like I think, and therefore I'm going to build my business based on what I think, because I think everybody else will think as I think. No, man, you better do some research, right? You better check that out. It's always a bad assumption to assume that everybody thinks like I do. A lot of businesses fail that way. This morning, I want to suggest to you that a lot of people approach their religion that way. But in this case, as people are approaching their religion in a, in a bad way, the problem is they're misreading God. People are approaching their religion saying, I think I can do this because I think God thinks like I think. God surely sees things the way I do, and since this appeals to me, since this pleases me, since this is what I want to do, surely it's okay. God will see things like I see things. That's even a more serious thing, isn't it? To assume that Almighty God likes what I like and thinks like I think. Again, that's a recipe destined for disaster. In the text that Jeff read for us earlier from Psalm chapter 50, this is exactly what the, the people of God had been doing. Now, they had been engaged in all kinds of corruption and wickedness. They had been evil themselves. They had associated with evil people. They had imitated the deeds of all the wicked folks around them. And yet they were imagining that God's still happy with them because God is like them. God likes what they like. He thinks like they think. He's like them. Notice to the wicked, God says, What right have you to tell my statutes and take my covenant into your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my word behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak evil against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silence. Notice this. You thought 
that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. God said, you've done something. You, you made a serious mistake here when you imagined that I was just like you and that I see things the way you see them and that I would approve your evil because you were pleased to do it. You thought that'd make it okay with me too. You thought I was just like you. Big mistake. And I'm fixing to send a punishment upon you is the message that was sent to the people of God in that time. We want to take that concept and suggest that even today, when it comes to religion, people are making that same blunder. They are imagining that God is like them. You thought I was just like you. That'll be the, the statement upon which we want to base some important observations this morning. Hope that they'll be helpful. Thanks for being here today. We're very grateful for the presence of each and every one. For those of you who are visiting with us, thanks for coming. Please come again. We want you to come every time you have a chance. Uh, as, as always, we would be open to further Bible study with you. If you have any questions, we'd be glad for you to ask them. May I say a word to those of us who are members at College View? Let me say simply to you, do not take for granted what we have here. We have a wonderful family, of, a spiritual family at College View. We have, we have great privileges here. We have a great environment and a good congregation to, in which to work and serve God. Uh, we have such opportunities as we're having this morning to join together and worship in Bible study. Do not take these things for granted. There are a lot of people in the world who don't enjoy what we enjoy, and we should never uh, uh, stop giving thanks for our situation here at College View. Thank you for being here this morning. We're glad for each and every one. Let's suggest some ways in which people demonstrate this attitude toward God assuming that he's just like us and that he sees things just the way that we do. One, of course, is in religious practices. In regards to various religious practices that are in evidence in the denominational world around us, it's clear that people think they can do whatever they please. God will see it. It's okay. He thinks like they think, and therefore, he will approve what they do. Have you seen recently uh, around about town, uh, maybe in your travels, I have seen it more than once that a certain religious group will have a sign out in front of their meeting place and it will say, contemporary worship, 9.30, traditional worship, 10.30. And so they're having what they call contemporary worship services in addition to their traditional worship service. Think about what that implies. Uh, it, It may imply a lot of things, but one thing is that Well, some folks still like to do what we've always done, but we're also trying to make an appeal to people who like to change things and make it different, make it more appealing to the modern individual. So we're having contemporary worship services. If you do any investigation, of course, you can find out that those kinds of worship services have been geared specifically to people who like to have a lot of upbeat, so-called contemporary Christian music and so forth. The idea, though, is uh, what I'm uh, uh, dealing with here is just the very idea that we can change. If if what has always been done is not good enough to suit you, then we'll change it to whatever you like. We'll make it to your contemporary taste. What do you prefer? Because the, the bottom line is God doesn't care. He's glad for us to worship any worship to him that we want. God just loves to be worshiped. In fact, he's sort of sitting up there in heaven with his mouth open just waiting for us to send him some worship. He needs it so bad. That being the case, 
He'll take anything we offer. What do you like? Send it His way and He'll be glad to receive it. God is just like us. He sees things just the way we do. He's just like us. And of course, that is absolutely wrong and we need to know that it is. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 22, it talks about the commandments and doctrines of men and Paul identifies it there in that text as will worship. Think about it. He calls, he calls a service to God that is based upon the commandments and doctrines of men. He says that's will worship. Whose will? It's not God's will, right? It's the human will. Men doing what they want and offering that as service to God and ex- expecting God to accept it. He'll like it. It's not God's will. It's man's will. But the assumption is God will be pleased to have it. No. It's not so. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning verse 8, Jesus said, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Notice here that there's a kind of worship that is vain. Do you see that? In vain they do worship me. The word vain there, though that's not a word we would use very often in, in modern usage, the word vain means worthless, good for nothing. There's a kind of worship that doesn't get the job done. What kind is it? It's the kind that is based upon the doctrines and commandments of men. That's vain. God does not accept it. God is not like us. He does not see things the way we do. He expects us to come to His way of thinking, not that He would conform to our way of thinking. (coughs) A familiar verse for us is Colossians 3, verse 17, but it's so important. Instead of worshiping according to our own whims, our own likes and dislikes, what we're supposed to do is, as Paul said here, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Do everything in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, there's some, there's some far out practices of certain religious denominational groups and We might have those in mind when we think of people who are violating the principle here of having Bible authority for everything they do. Certainly that's true. But even among our own brethren, we're seeing increased evidence of the fact that people are departing from the authority of the Scriptures. Even among some nominally conservative congregations, we're seeing them do things that are not authorized in the Word of God and they seem not to even be aware of it. They've stopped caring about Bible authority. And they're proceeding to do what they like, as they will, with the assumption that God will be pleased to have it that way, and it's just not so. So, again, the concept that was plaguing God's people of old was that they had assumed God was just like them. And they were going to get a, a, a rude awakening that that was not the case. But that's still happening in the religious world today when we see it in the variety of man-made religious practices that are out there that are being followed. Another way that people assume that God is just like them is in regards to their view of Him and what He will do in regard to punishing, judging and punishing those who do not do His will. Have you ever heard the expression, a doting grandparent? You know what it means to be a doting grandparent? Well, I do now because I am one. And there's some others of you here who are doting grandparents. I see the Crawfords there, they got their grandparents. They're doting grandparents. I can, I, I can just guarantee that. 
A doting grandparent is, uh, by definition, necessarily one who just approves everything their grandchild does. You know, my grandchildren don't do anything wrong. No, mine are perfect. And if you imagine that maybe they did something wrong, I'm sure I can make up an excuse for. They just don't feel well. They're, they're, maybe they're fussy and grouchy, and maybe they've been acting out. But it's not their fault. They just don't. They don't feel good today. You know. There's nothing wrong with my grandkids, right? Isn't that the way a doting grandparent does? I remember a good while back when Joel and Kelly were leaving Cole at our house to babysit. Joel said, now you spank him if he acts up. I said, no, there won't be any spankings here. That's your job. That's not my job. And that's what a grandparent does, right? Well, a lot of people view God that way. That's how he sees us. He sees us like a, a loving grandpa up there in heaven. And he just loves everything we do. He approves everything. And if we should happen to let down a time or two, he, he makes he, he makes excuses for us. We don't even have to make excuses for ourselves. He makes excuses for us, right? That's the way people view God. And I tell you, of course, it is incredibly wrong to view God in that way. That's not what he's like. And when we when we disobey his will, he has promised that he will punish us for doing that. Some people are like Felix in regards to serving God because God's just like this loving grandfather in heaven. Therefore, God will be very patient and wait and give us time to finally come around to do what we should be doing. You remember the story of Felix in Acts chapter 24, verse 25? It says, as he reasoned of righteousness, Paul was preaching to him. Paul was actually on trial, but he took the opportunity to preach to Felix. And it says... As he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Notice that Felix was looking for a convenient season to do the will of God. And if God is like a loving grandfather, he'll wait until we get around to serving him. He, he understands we're busy. We don't have time. There's just a lot of things demanding our attention. It's not convenient right now to worship God and serve him faithfully. But God knows that. And so He will be patient and He will allow us to wait until a convenient time comes around for us to do what we know we should be doing. You know the problem with that, and we've pointed it out lots of times before, is that there is never a convenient season to be a Christian. It will never be more convenient to be a Christian than to not be one. And so if you're waiting for a convenient season, the, the implication in the story of Felix was he never found that time, and we don't think you'll find that time either. Because it's never so. It's never easier to be a Christian than not be one. The problem with postponing, let's just make, take, take maybe just a little side route here to talk about the problem of waiting for that convenient season to serve God. It never comes, and several things could happen as you are waiting for a convenient season to do the will of God. Of course, one of the things that could happen is that you could die. You could die suddenly. Any of us at any age, even those who are young among us, could die suddenly and unexpectedly. James chapter 4, verse 14 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We're not here for long at best. And our life could be snuffed out suddenly. And while you're waiting, and while you think God is glad to wait for you as you're looking for your convenient season, your life could suddenly be gone. That's one danger. Another danger, of course, is that the Lord could come in judgment before you decided to do the right thing. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The Lord's come again. We don't know when. Now, we're not suggesting to you that we do know when. We don't. But since we don't, then we couldn't say with certainty that it won't happen soon. It could happen soon. It may be a long way off. We just don't know. But the fact of the matter is, as you wait, and you think God is glad to let you wait to do the right thing, what could happen is the Lord could return in judgment and find you unprepared. That's a danger, right? So death is a danger. The Lord's return is a danger if you're unprepared. I tell you, the greatest danger, I think, is the one that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I want to draw your attention to the idea that you can grow hardened into the condition that you're in. You know, as you tell God no, each time you tell Him no, it becomes easier to tell Him no the next time. And you become hardened into this situation. And then maybe you reach a point where you don't even care anymore. You deceived yourself into thinking that God was okay with you and that God would be patient and wait for you until you came around finally to doing the right thing. But so many things could happen to keep you from ever getting to that point of doing the right thing. And this is a great danger. And we've all known people who got there. They just grew hardened into sin. And they weren't interested any longer in even seeking to do the will of God. What the Lord demands of us is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It is not with God that He's saying, I understand, it'll be okay, take your time. When you finally get around to it, I'll be glad to do, for you to do what you ought to do. That's not right. What God demands is right now, give me your all. Put the kingdom of God first. He demands to have first place in our lives. Not eventually, but right now. The church at Ephesus in Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 2 was a church that was just going through the motions. And maybe they imagined that if we just go through the motions, God will be pleased with us to serve Him like that. But the Lord said He wasn't pleased. Revelation 2, beginning verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which are, say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. If you stopped right there, Ephesus would sound real good. But notice he goes on to describe, but this is not genuine, and it's not from the heart. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So here was a group of people who said, God, God's probably okay with us. We're, doing, we're still doing most of the right things. But their heart wasn't in it. They were just going through the motions. And all such examples of that point out that people make a very serious mistake when they imagine that God is just like us, that He sees things like we see them, and that he will tolerate us even when we're not doing the right thing. Let me suggest another area where people make this same mistake, and that has to do with issues of morality and purity of life. You know, the tendency, I think, or at least the danger is increasing that what we will do in our day and time is that we'll look at the world around us. You know, man, there is all kind of moral corruption and filthy wickedness out there in the world. There's some really horrible things happening. Even right here in our own community, we see people involved in all kinds of wickedness and sin. 
And we might be tempted to say, well, I'm not that bad anyway, right? God probably thinks I'm pretty good because in comparison to all these other people, I'm a lot better than they are. I mean, I'm a lot better than they are. I'm not nearly as... I I may have my points of weakness, and I may be sinning here or there, but I'm not doing the stuff that some of these people are doing. I'm telling you, there's some really bad people out there. And God probably measures me in comparison to them, and He likes what He sees in me because I'm better than they are. You see how that could be a way of thinking? We might do that. If it was up to us, we might do that. You know, we might, we might grade people on sort of a scale. Remember when you were in, uh, uh, in school and what you hoped for, if you got, if, if there was a test or an assignment and you did a pretty poor job, what you were hoping was that other people did worse than you and the teacher would grade on a curve. Oh man, sure hopes the teacher grades on a curve because if he grades on a curve, I might come out alright because I think I probably did better than some of the others did. God's not grading on a curve. And to think that way is a big mistake. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but they, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Paul said some people were doing that back then. And he said, that doesn't work. God doesn't see things that way. And we need to realize that that is the case. So when it comes to living pure moral lives, keeping our lives pure from sin, we've got to understand that God has a strict standard and it's not graded on the curve. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 3, the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. Notice, Peter said that there were people who would think it strange that we're not doing what they do. Uh, Peter said it was so then. Surely it's so in our world. As our world becomes more and more wicked, uh, people ought to look at us and say, you're strange. You know, you're kind of strange. You, you don't do this. You don't do that. You're kind of strange, aren't you? The problem is we don't want to be strange. We don't want to be considered odd. Uh, and, and we'd like to think that God doesn't want us to be considered odd either. And so God's going to be kind of loose in judging us because He doesn't want us to be considered oddballs, freaks, r- religious fanatics. He, he understands why we compromise and let down, why we, why we do things that we probably shouldn't do because God doesn't want us to be looked at as odd or strange. Yes, He does. God expects it to be the case that if you're living like you should, there are going to be people in the world that look at you and say, man, you are strange. If nobody thinks you're strange, you're not living up to the standard that God expects of you. He expects you to be considered odd and strange. Are you willing to be strange? Are you willing for the sinful people of this world to look at you and think, man, you're an oddball? You need to be that way because that's what God's looking for. God is not saying, oh, it's okay, go ahead and compromise, blend in, don't stand out as different. No, God wants us to be different, and we've got to be willing to do that. He calls us, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He doesn't want us to blend in. He wants us to come out. And be a separate people. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, 
he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. He wants us to approach into his level. Not to compromise with the world, not to dumb it down, not to be like the people of the sinful world around us. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. And so when it comes to issues involving morality and purity of life, people making a mistake when they think God will say it's okay. And that as we compromise with the sinful world around us, God won't care. He cares. And we should be careful about assuming the wrong thing of God. The people of old had made this terrible mistake. You thought I was just like you. It was wrong then, and it's wrong today, to assume that God thinks about things the way we think about things. The challenge, therefore, becomes that we need to try to get our thinking in line with His. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't try to bring God down to thinking like sinful men. Try to elevate your thinking to think about things the way that God does, because that's the only key to success. Anything else is a recipe for disaster. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. As we bring the lesson to close, we'll be singing this song of invitation, and in the singing of it, we'll be asking you, is your heart right with God? Have you measured yourself by the true standard of His Word? Do you have a handle on how He sees you? Don't try to, don't try to make it so that He thinks the way you think. See if you can judge how you stand by the true standard of His Word. How is God looking at you? If your life is not right with Him, you need to come to Him in simple, humble obedience. If you're not a Christian yet, that means upon hearing and believing the Word, to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never done that, you need to make that decision. We'd be anxious to assist in your obedience this morning. If you need more information, you want to study more, just say the Word and we'll do that. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and not faithful, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know. Oh, we stand and sing this song. Great, 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 great.